I am all for paying to market to new customers, but I'll never be able to wrap my mind around paying for our own diners. Why should we have to pay cover fees? It's like getting penalized for being busy. That's why I'm a huge fan of Yelp Guest Manager. It's a reservation and waitlist system connected to a diner network nine times larger than Open Table, and they never charge cover fees. Learn about their new $99 per month plan for newly opened restaurants at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and tell them full comp sent you. Now here we go. There's the old saying, a rising tide raises all ships. And I'm very competitive. I want to do the best I can, but I feel like if we're lifting everybody up, then It's just going to push us to be doing that much more and making food that much better and bringing better service so that if more people are coming in, they're going to want to choose us as well. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Thomas Harvey is a big city guy that chose to open his restaurant in a small town. When everyone else was thinking big, he thought small in a powerful way. Thomas has made a name for himself nationally by using the proven tactics and strategies he learned in larger markets in Falls Church, Virginia. In our conversation, he shares how using your restaurant to build community is a universal solution to a persistent problem. So I've been in restaurants for a while and I've always had the dream of opening a restaurant like many of us do that work in the industry. And I took kind of a fun path. My start was actually I went to school for music and realized very quickly that that was a hobby and not a passion. And while I was in school, I started cooking as a job and really fell in love with it and ended up dropping out of school much to my parents dislike of doing that. <laughs> I started cooking and I did everything I could. I worked in the dining hall at uh, Radford University where I went. And then I left, worked in a Japanese steakhouse and learned sushi and the teppanyaki style cooking in front of people. And then moved back up to Northern Virginia, started cooking in different restaurants. I was a personal chef, did some things, went to school after being in the industry for about 10 years. And then after school, that's where my career really took off. I worked for some great Chefs, James Beard award-winning chefs like Frank Ruda at Blaina in D.C., and then a Michelin star and James Beard winning chef Fabio Trabocchi in D.C. as well. Worked for them for a long time. Went back to Virginia for a group that I was with, and I was there as a partner in the restaurant, a small ownership stake. I had like a 10% ownership stake, and I was their corporate chef slash director of operations for six restaurants. And it was when the pandemic hit that I really realized hey, there's opportunity now. Unfortunately, there's places closing, but that means there's spaces I probably wouldn't have been able to look at before open. And landlords are probably going to be looking for cheaper rent to get the places filled out faster. So I left my job in July of 2020 on purpose in the middle of a pandemic to open a restaurant. And it was wild. Most of the landlords and the realtors and brokers laughed at me in the first few months because opening a restaurant during that time was just so outlandish, but it got me a great spot in Falls Church, Virginia, and we locked in really good rent for 10 years, and we're hoping we can fulfill that and grow into the right space. 
you've worked in both large and small markets, and I'm curious to know why you chose to open up in a small market. So I enjoyed DC. Working in that kind of market was it was wild. It was my first real glimpse into just craziness, really. The amount of people, the volume that you can do, and then the, the level of it was great. But then going back into the suburbs of Virginia and cooking out there, I found more of a connection to the people. And cooking in the city was great, and the attention was fun, and what we were doing was cutting edge. But in my mind, well, restaurants and hospitality were always about the people coming in. And I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here to make people happy and give them a feeling of being at home without being there. And I just felt that more working in the suburb area than I did actually in a large market. Did you take any lessons from those larger markets and use them in your current market? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Run me through those. When I went to culinary school, like I said, I've been working in restaurants for a while. I worked up to a sous chef. I was a personal chef for almost four years for a family traveling around with them. And I realized then I'd be doing things, I'd be cooking things and they turn out one way and they were like, oh, this is great. And I go to make it again. It wouldn't work. And there was just techniques and methods that I was not getting right. And then going to school and getting that polish from school and then going out and getting the opportunity to work in some better restaurants. When I got out, I worked with Frank Ruta at Palena, like I said, and that was a masterclass in cooking. Like I said, James Beardwinner, he worked in the White House. He took the approach of almost cooking baking into actual savory cooking. And our recipes were to the gram, to the time, to the minute. And it really showed a level of consistency that was just unbelievable. It didn't matter who came in. You showed them the technique, gave them the recipe, and that was all you had to do because everybody could then cook anything in that restaurant. And it always tasted like whoever made it. The other person, anybody could make it the same way. So that was a big lesson. And then when I left Frank and I started working for Fabio, that was business. He taught me everything about how chefs are always seen sometimes as great with flavors, but really bad business people. And he really showed me the ropes of understanding, even from standing from an expo line and reading the expo to understand what's going on in the dining room and what servers are not handling things right and who needs help and where do we need to look at. And these numbers, walking into a walk-in and seeing the right things to use and how we get up and keeping the cost down in the right way. And then more so into that, into the financials, which really pushed me into something big. So when I left them again and then went back out to the suburbs and was overseeing six restaurants, I really got to put those things into practice and learn it more on a grand scale by overseeing six different operations and being in control of those operations and making sure that people became profitable, saved money where they could and grew sales in the right way. And all those lessons, you know, really gave me the foundation to say, okay, I've done this. I feel this. I think I'm ready to now take that next step in into opening up a restaurant. And looking at your individual operations, it looks like a pandemic, baby. Dine in, carry out, catering, retail, special events. Oh, yes. Does having those diversified revenue streams positively affect your bottom line today? It is. It's growing. The whole concept was built on adaptation. Because the pandemic, at least with me and my friends and people we would talk to, we always said like restaurants were bulletproof. If it was going through a recession, people are still going to come out and drink and eat little snacks. They might have beer and small bites, 
But then if the things are going well, they're going to come out and they're going to drink wine and cocktails and big meals. So it didn't matter what happened in the world. Restaurants were always going to be okay in some way. And the pandemic really shook that up. And it was a way to really look inside of what we could do. We have access to things that other people don't. Farmers that don't go out to retail and food and wine that aren't sold in those ways that we could really open up to the public. So getting that out there and finding the food culture in the area around here is really big. So having those opportunities to sell those things and bring light to those, people really like it. So we almost say it's like a choose your own adventure in this place. Pick how you want to do it, how you want to sit down, how do you want to eat? Do you want to take it home? What do you want to see? But it's been really good. I follow a lot of the I guess like the other chats, the Tom Seatsma chats that he has once a week here for the Washington Post, food review and what people say, different Facebook groups. And I've tried to model what people want and what they'd like to see and try to throw that into the concept in some way. And some of them don't work. Some of them, you know, well, let's try this and it doesn't work. And I've learned those lessons. That's why nobody else does it, because it really doesn't work. So it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah, but it all kind of seems focused around trying to meet demand, not trying to create new demand, which I think is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the fun things of it, like reading what people saw out of it, and I've had people that worked for me in the kitchen and in the front of the house for a decade or more. And when I called them because I was opening up a restaurant, a lot of the people left the industry because of the pandemic. A lot of my cooks, they ended up going into construction. And when I call them back, they'd say, no. We get nights and weekends off now. We have time with our family. And server staff would be like, yeah, I finally put my degree to use. So we found that not only the way we present the business to the people, but how we present it to employees became a big thing. And having the versatility here and getting them involved as much as possible has been huge. And the other thing that has come out of this, is, which has been great, we pay our staff a wage. I pay all my front of the house anywhere from 10 to 12 an hour. And the kitchen's about 16, 14 to 16 an hour, but I put them all in the tip pool. So the kitchen and the front of the house share a tip house and it's brought them all together. It's one of the few places I've worked where all the servers and all the cooks know each other's names. They talk to each other. They'll hang out after work, but it's also given us a 98% retention in the nine months we've been open. I've lost two employees since we've opened. I want to talk about restaurant marketing because I found out about you through a national publication that you were featured in. What is your position on restaurant marketing and what role do you think you play in it? So the team that I have from my marketing team, it's Heather Freeman, is unbelievable. They really worked with me in the opening. I signed up with them early and then pandemic buildouts happened and permit issues and actually getting equipment. And they worked with me well to kind of help mitigate. We thought we were going to open at one point. It ended up being eight months later from when we initially planned on opening. And they were able to work with me really well. And then once we did open, they got the name out very well. And we've seen a great turnout from that. We have people that come from farther out than our town because of what they've read about or seen. And it's a hard expense to pay sometimes when you look at it and we're scraping the barrel just to break even and get to the right places. But one of those things that I know that is making us get there is having that marketing and having our name out there so that a wider range of people can hear about us and then provide that good experience so they start talking about it too. And then that just creates more word of mouth and better marketing throughout that as well. 
seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're gonna learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of this as much as possible. When the well is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you, but they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and filling those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. And that's one very traditional form of marketing, but I want to talk about what you specialize in, which is community building. Oh, yes, community. Well, one of the things, like I said, I did have a long build-out. My build-out took... 11 months and it's a second generation restaurant it was just permits and waiting on equipment through the pandemic but what that did was it enabled me to really get to know the town the city of falls church and the people here are very much about where they live they call it the little city very community oriented i was reading somewhere like based off w2s they're the number three most charitable area per capita in the country so charity and community is huge here. So looking at that and knowing it was a good market, I really dove into that and started to work with a bunch of the community groups around here. We've done events with a group called the Falls Church Education Foundation, which helps support all the public schools, the students, the teachers, events with that. We worked with a dog and cat rescue here. And we've also worked with a local historical society called the Tinner Hill Foundation. And one of the things I've always thought about small towns is they've got to be weird and quirky and it's got to be different. So we try to do fun, outlandish events and get the rest of the community involved. So when we do an event, it's not just Harvey's Restaurant. Our biggest event that we did was the one for the Falls Church Education Foundation. And I got our local barber shop, a tattoo shop, a local brewery, and a wine vendor who's actually based in Falls Church all together. And we threw this big event for education and for the kids, but it was the barbershop and tattoo shop guys came up with dishes and whoever sold out first got their dish on the menu and we donated in their name to the education foundation at the end of the month, you know, proceeded to the sales and the loser ended up getting a tattoo of the winning dish on their person. And I brought the community out because it was so outlandish, like, oh my God, somebody's getting a tattoo, somebody's getting this. But then all their other businesses saw an influx as well because Everybody else got involved in it. And then what really set us into the community here, we've had other groups come up and approach us. Well, how can we work with this? The library's come up to me. The doctor's office here that works with cancer patients is doing things and trying to build that up. So we're trying to work with as many different local community-based businesses to really grow something here. And that has really endeared us to the community very quickly to the point where people said it feels like we've been here for forever because we're just already a part of the community here. How has that affected your numbers? It's been great. It's driven up. I mean, we have 
in nine months, I probably have a core of about 85 regulars who come multiple times a week. Wow. And it's been huge. I mean, inside we're a 50 seat restaurant and, and when the patio is open, we have an extra 50 seats outside. So it's not a big space. So when you can fill up half your restaurant most of the time with regulars almost on a daily basis, that's a great thing. And they keep bringing in more people too. And we've grown regulars on top of that. Every month we're seeing more people that start to come back in multiple times and multiple times. And a lot of it is said because we just love how much of a part of the community you guys are and how much you've really driven that point home to try to actually be here for us just as much as we're going to be here for you. And when you look at your community, I've noticed you don't have that competitive streak that so many restaurateurs have. You also work with your direct competitors on community events. Yeah. There's the old saying, a rising tide raises all ships. And I'm very competitive. (laughs) I want to do the best I can. But I feel like if we're lifting everybody up, then it's just going to push us to be doing that much more and making food that much better and bringing better service so that if more people are coming in, they're going to want to choose us as well. But if everybody's doing a good thing and we can bring more people to the area, that's just going to be a larger influx of people as well. So as much as we can build off of that, to me, it's a no-brainer. Talk to me about community building internally. How are you building community within your team? So like I said, the shared tip house has been a really big thing. The kitchen, they're, they'll get involved. They'll see that if glassware is running low and they've got time, they're going in the back. That I'll have my line cooks back there polishing glassware and silverware to help get the servers up because they know if they can flip the tables faster and get more people in there, the tips are coming and they get more money out of them. And with the server staff, they're working with the cooks. And when there's an issue, instead of being like, oh, I thought the cooks would understand that note you know, that I wrote in there, they come back and explain it because they know if they can get this out better and they're working with the staff, it affects both of them in the same way. So it's really brought them together. And it's been a great friendship, team building kind of movement in between that. And like I said, we do pay a wage. We offer great benefits. And we try to work well within everybody's schedule. When they all got hired, we were the new place and other people had multiple jobs. And I told them from the start, I was like, listen, I understand you guys have another job. That's your first priority and we'll be your second. Or if they started off with us first, they didn't have a job. They got a second one. I would tell them, I'd be like, listen, just... I'll work with you, but this is your schedule. If you tell your other job, if something else changes, you have to let us know to see if we can fit that in there. We've given them a level of respect where they actually come back and give us that respect as well. We don't ask too much of them. We open early. We do breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but we have good teams with that. I did close Sunday nights, and that way everybody knows you work on a Sunday, you're still done at 3 o'clock, and you're out of here, and you have time with friends and family. So everybody knows no matter what, there is always that time where everybody's off, everybody can be together and do something. And that's really helped build something, I think, within the team. And we've seen how that's affected retention in the way that you're at 98%. Yeah. But how has it affected attracting new talent? It's been a lot. I actually get quite a few applications throughout people in town. Some of the other restaurant managers and owners have come up to me and they've talked about it. A few of them have raised their wages for people They were not the most happy about it. We had to raise wages because of what you've done. And I said, I apologize. No, it was good. We've kept our people happy and we're noticing that we're keeping our staff better too. Like there were some people that we weren't sure about. Now they're actually doing more and more for us. So it's been a good little balance in here. And it's a hard struggle because now it's a different animal adding in that much labor into the costs. 
And with rising costs, it's been hard. But in nine months, I have essentially the same opening staff that I've had. And now they're all just as invested in this place doing well as I am. And it shows they just do an exceptional job. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. If it just means I have to work harder and find new ways to bring in more money, that's what it means. Because the only reason it's doing so well is because of what the staff is doing as well. And how does all this play out online? How are you sharing your story with the public? So we run a couple social media accounts. We have Instagram and Facebook. I run that with a couple of the other staff members here. We kind of do a collaborative effort on it between pictures, how are we going to post this, what should we post? And that roundtable approach really works really well because everybody brings a good idea to the table, or at least an idea. One of the things I've told them is I never think that there is a bad idea. It just might be an idea that needs to be grown to become a good one. It could always be a start. And once we start to embrace that method of like, okay, well, here's your idea. And it's not going to work this way. Well, what can we do? These are the good points of it. How do we make this work? And that round table works out really well because I might have an idea, but it doesn't work. And so we'd be like, well, yeah, but you're missing this, this, and this. It's like, okay, cool. How do we build upon this? And it's really good to having that. And our social media has grown pretty quickly. We have people calling all the time because we post our specials. We post our events on there. And they're calling, oh, well, we saw this. What's next? What are you guys doing next? And it's really built a good following within the community already. Looking back, what are some of the key decisions you've made that you double down on? What are the things you'd recommend to others? So one of the things that I still hold firm in is the closing for Sundays. I get a lot of grief from people because they're like, I want to be here on Sundays. I can't make it out a lot of nights. I want to be here Sunday nights. And I won't reverse that because it's something for the staff. And my approach to the guests has been, if I'm going to be neighborhood and be community driven, I also am going to be neighborhood and community driven with my staff. And they need to have that sense that they can have that balance. And that's one of the things that we're going to do. Outside of that, we've adapted a lot. We started out with one idea of concept of not sure how the pandemic was going to be, QR codes on the tables, paper menus, all this. And QR codes actually scared off people. They're like, we're not going to come in here for QR code dining. So we removed things and we've adapted. How are we going to approach this? How are we going to set up service? How are we going to have people working? So there hasn't been a lot that I've doubled down on. It's just mostly been, how do we adapt to find the right method in this early time? What are the missteps you've made? What are the mistakes you've made and the lessons that we could all learn from? I think I was too quick I was too quick to adapt some of the things from the pandemic as being, these are going to stick around. I put a market in the restaurant and it sold some. I look at it now as like, oh, it's kind of taken up a table and I'm losing those two chairs, two to three chairs that I could have where I have a certain amount of sales. And looking at the numbers, it's probably 45%. If I had a table there, I'd get an extra 50 to 60% of sales having a table there. And the dining habits quickly reverted back. And I didn't think that was going to be a thing so quickly. Looking at that and trying to create more of a vision of too many things, the market, the restaurant, in and out, these events here, there was a lot going on. There's too many moving pieces and knowing where to actually balance them out has been a hard thing. And it's confused a lot of our guests in the beginning. And I think we've gotten down to a better flow of things now. But it was too mad scientists, too many ideas in a pot to actually make a cohesive thought in the beginning. 
how would you describe your role over the last nine to 12 months? And how do you see it evolving over the next 12 months? So I've been very involved in all operations. I'm here six to seven days a week, open to close. Those are long days because we open at 7 a.m. for breakfast. So we're here at 530 in the morning and then we're closing around 930, 10 o'clock at night. So very much involved in the kitchen. I'm still coming up with all the menus and recipes, training in the cooking. I'm on the floor with our management team, making sure things are going. And only recently, I would say in the last about two to three months, I've been able to sit back a little bit more and watch the team kind of take over, which has been nice. And like I said, with keeping the team and then them working so closely with me in the beginning, they really have bought into it. So I'm hoping in the future to be able to sit back even more and let them really take over and keep the vision going because I'd like to see more spaces down the road. I probably will not recreate this concept, but I do have a couple other concepts I would like to create down the road in this community. How do you become a better restaurateur? What are the resources you look to get better? Personally, I just need to know that I have to not take every misstep personally. (laughs) And that's been hard. My name's on the door and this is my vision of my baby. And when I see a slower day or something like that, I need to not take it as so personally and learn to just let the flow take over and really step back and let the team just take control of it. It's hard as a first time with everything going on and so much on the line being a restaurant owner and with my name on there, it's been hard to kind of step back. And that's one thing that I've been trying to work on harder. What does growth look like for you in 2023? Growth, we're looking good. We're expanding our patio. We have a really nice open patio area and we're working on building like a wooden pergola structure on it to give us full year dining and actually private event space area. And we've started to grow our catering more. The holiday seasons have been great for that. And we're getting a lot of building on that. So we'll have big events in the restaurant, hopefully catering events going out so we can start making money outside of the four walls in here. And I've seen upward growth every month since we've opened and it's just continuing to go that way. So if we can start pushing new streams of revenue all the time and keep growing on what we're already growing on, 2023 is shaping up to be a very good year. And then what's the trigger point for growth? When do you actually look to decide, okay, now it's time to open another store, a different location? When we can be sustainable enough, be pulling in a little bit of money and paying off all the debt in the right way and covering and the team feels confident and the team is very much there. We probably have one or two more hires for me to fully pull myself away to be able to open up new concepts. And I think with the growth that we're seeing, I'm hoping within the next two years, I'll be able to do that. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? Well, I do think the one thing that's turning on the heel is the employment culture and trying to find that balance. And we're not all masochists. (laughs) We all don't want to do all the hours. And some of us do. Some of us enjoy it. Personally, I enjoy it. It's hard for me to be away from a restaurant. Even when I didn't own a restaurant, I wanted to be there all the time. I just enjoy the work and I enjoy being there. But knowing that not everybody's built like that and growing into it and seeing how that culture is changing is going to be better for all. And the focus on sustainable foods has been fantastic. And the looking into local products and everything has just been 
I see a really good step coming for restaurants. The pandemic kind of shook us up and we did some inward reflection and I see hard times, but they're going to be so much better when we come out. That's Thomas Harvey. For more information on his restaurant, visit harveysva.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.